This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry Welcome back, Ducks fans, for another episode of the Forever Mighty Post Game Show. It's Pat and Eddie on the mics tonight. As the Ducks come off a horrible performance against the Kings just to come in back home again to end the homestand and crush the Predators' hopes with a 3-2 victory over P.K. Subban, right? Pretty much over P.K. Subban at this point. Yeah, just primarily over P.K. Subban. <laughs> Man, the boos for that guy were insane. Oh, like, it was I loud. Get, I get he was being kind of a baby and he dove earlier on, but uh, like, there's no history really with Ducks fans and Subban, and like, they turned on him quick. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It, it was because it was it was their boy. You can't go after you can't go after Max Jones. You just can't. I do wanted it. to see him fight Subban so bad. I thought it was gonna happen. Oh, there were people sitting next to me at the game that were like, uh, watch him fight coming out of the box. <laughs> I'm like, they're not going to. The Preds are losing. There's nothing on the line here. What is what does Subban have to gain from this? But I was like, please. Please do it. Just please do it. <laughs> Subban would like Subban would never. He doesn't seem like the type of guy to do that. You notice how he goes over to Max Jones like at the end of uh, the play when the refs have already split them up. Oh, that's when that's when Jones was there and he was like, "Oh, now you talk. Now you talk." Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Man, it was it was an interesting game because it was a nice turnaround though from the uh, <laughs> from the LA Kings game for a bit there. Uh, Nashville got real ballsy on that power play, pulling the goalie twice, and uh, we'll, we'll get into that more. But I was just impressed by that move by Lavilla. It almost paid off for them, but uh, we got some we got some pregame stuff to get into. Kessler's still out, questionable, but it's questionable as in like this guy never knows when he's going to be able to play. It's it, it's like it's a game time decision for him pretty much every game, right? Like he has to assess if he's ready to go and if he is you know they you find out a couple hours before the game or the morning of the game and if he's not then he you know he's again like this he sits out again yeah and you know we kind of expected it we've been talking about it now for a few days where it's kind of like he hit that 1000 mark and now it's like it's the way it's gonna be he, he's just he's gonna play if he feels 100 percent, and if not I mean, he's just not going to and I, I wouldn't be surprised if he just took the rest of the year off honestly yeah, it would make sense. Like we we talked about in the last podcast, if he sits out for the rest of the year, I would blame the guy just to to get some rest because I mean, it's got to be difficult. You know, the fact that he doesn't know if he's going to play until the morning or later on in the day before each game, like 
that's probably not a good thing, right? Like, no. you, you probably shouldn't sit out the rest of the season. But he's not the only guy right now who's hurt. Brendan Gooley hasn't even skated yet. He's apparently getting closer to getting back on the ice, which is a good sign, I guess. We still really don't know exactly what happened to him. And, like, I'm starting to question if it was an upper body injury if this guy isn't skating yet. Because if it was something to do with his hand or his arm blocking a shot, He'd be back on the ice. I mean, look at Max Zuccarello. He broke his arm. A week and a half later, he's skating again just for conditioning. Yeah. So this makes me wonder if it's, you know, they never said if it was upper body or lower body. So maybe it is a lower body injury. It's a leg, an ankle or something, maybe a knee, who knows. Or, you know, the, the fear of the worst, if it is upper body, it's, in, it's a concussion. Like, we don't really know yet, but I'm just surprised we haven't seen an update. Yeah, it's... It's strange, and it's really disappointing because he was good in his limited time. And so we, I really look forward to the chance of him coming back. But but Kessler was kind of like a foregone, a foregone conclusion. This is going to be a physical game. It's against a team that uh, you know has proven to be elite at times. They're kind of in a middling situation now in Nashville. And they're not quite um, – it doesn't look like they're quite in that playoff gear yet because yeah. they lost to the Ducks. <laughs> but um, they're they're not terrible. And it would have been a feisty game, and so I, I, why, 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 you know, why put, why put Kessler in for that? There's just no need. You got to put him in. You have to have him in for the matchup against Johansson. That's what, that's what the people want. <laughs> that's what, that's what they're there for. Is uh, the rivalry between Ryan Getzlaff and Ryan Johansson? But the rivalry's still there. There's still, you know, a little bit of feistiness between these two teams, and that comes with the territory when you've met, you know, three times I think in the last six years in the playoffs. And, and you look at how far deep in the playoffs they were when they met, there's going to be some animosity that kind of carries over because a lot of the, the core players for both teams are still here. Um, lineup changes galore oh, this yeah. time around. Not happy uh, was Bob Murray with the lineup against the Kings. Uh, a lot of things changing. Getzlaff now with Richie and Sprong, which, surprise, surprise, turned out to be the best line for the Ducks tonight. Daniel Sprong and Nick Ritchie were the two best forwards for the Ducks um, when it comes to shot attempts and scoring chances. And Ryan Getzlaff had a very good night. Um, but those two, specifically on the wing from Ryan Getzlaff, Daniel Sprong had, was, was probably the best forward of the night. But Nick Ritchie not far behind him. I don't even think he factored in the score sheet. He just had a really solid game. Yeah, he was all over the ice. Uh, he had a couple chances in the slot, unable to convert. Um, but you know, it was more important that, that, that he was just, you know, an effective player on that line. And I felt like he was, he wasn't some sort of, uh, player that was dragging any sort of, uh, teammate down. So that's helpful too, but it was a really strong game for Ryan Getzloff and you know, that really, it, it benefited Daniel Sprong, right? Sprong ended yeah. up getting a goal in this game. He was flying on that play, which I know we'll get to, but you're right. That line was great. The line that wasn't so great, Adam Henry, Corey Perry, and Troy Terry, <laughs> <laughs> the Perry Terry line, yeah, it did not look good tonight. Um, they just didn't look effective whatsoever. I, you didn't really see any plays where they were in position, you know, to to attack, and it just for whatever reason wasn't clicking. I don't know what you it, want to say about potential. that. Other, you look at it and you you thought like maybe this could be something decent. You know, Henrik and Terry have worked together before, and you you throw Corey Perry and there finally gets promoted from the fourth line, and of course it's it's Max Jones who gets sent down to the fourth line. And, you know, the difference between Corey Perry getting put on the fourth line and Max Jones getting put on the fourth line is for Perry is clearly a demotion. For Max Jones, it's like, you know, you know we're going to put you down here because we know you can do good anywhere. We need to try and get Corey Perry going. 
So we're going to put him up on the second line with with a, our hottest player. I, I guess two of two of your hottest players, right? Like other than Silverberg, I guess the, the the two two of the better players in the Ducks right now are Henrik and Terry, and maybe you throw Sprong in there. So they're just trying to spark Perry with this. So I like the move. It just didn't pan out, and I'm not sure who their matchups were tonight. I'm sure they they probably got matched up against Ryan Johansson. When you think Kessler's out of the lineup, Adam Henrik's usually the guy, or Derek Grant uh, that has to go against the opposing team's best players. So. If that's the case, I can understand why they didn't do as well because you've got to go against Forsberg, uh, Arvidsson, and Johansson. I mean, Henrik, but... looking at it now, they got to see Subban and Ekholm, and it looks like uh, Benino and, yeah, Benino, Yarncroak, and Sissons were like the, the top forwards they played against for the most, most of the time, five on five. So. Yeah, Benino's a hard guy to score against, apparently, this year because this plus minus is through the roof. And I know I hate plus minus, and it's kind of a garbage stat, but. Benino has been a pretty good shutdown guy for the Preds this year, and they clearly did that against Perry, Henrique, and Terry. We saw Shore centering Silverberg and Raquel, which turned out to be a pretty good line. They had some chances, you know, not great chances, and Silverberg and, and his goal, which we'll get to later, was almost identical to the goal that he scored against the Kings when he walks out from behind the net. But this line has looked pretty good, and I don't mind seeing Silverberg put with a a guy like Ricard Raquel who can get on the puck. And and Devin Shore has been relatively good since being put in the middle of the ice. I haven't been disappointed with this play. I've actually liked him better at center than he was at wing. Oh, you're talking with, with Shore being better yeah. at center than wing? Yeah, he's been more effective, right? I, I felt the same way. I, I felt like he's had a much better game since he got moved to center as well. I don't know why. Uh, I didn't really think that he would be noticeable there, but that's like been his most notable position since he got put there. Yeah, and and like he, I, I thought he was a center when he came over from Dallas, but I did some digging. Apparently, he did primarily play left wing when he was there, but he was a center when he was a prospect when he was in uh, before he got drafted. So he he's played it before, just not a lot in the NHL, and he does look comfortable there. And I feel like. You know, it looks like a guy whose natural position growing up was center, and then one of those guys who were, were victim of shifting to the wing because they, they couldn't really lock down either the disp- defensive responsibility, which I, I doubt is the case for, for sure, uh, or just being able to win faceoffs. And likely early on in his career, I think that would have been the problem for sure. But he, he looks comfortable, and I like that. And, you know, you look at the fourth line again, you get Grant, Rowney, and Jones, and they were okay, but you're not going to get too much from them generally. Um, the fourth line at times this year has been pretty good. I, I like what the Ducks have in Carter Rowney. Derek Grant is is a decent fourth liner. Then obviously Max Jones is just kind of down there because they're they're trying to move some guys up. You know, we talked about how Sprong has to play with a guy like Getzlaff. Troy Terry, you need to have in your top six, and then and, and Silverberg, the same goes for him. And if you're trying to spark Corey Perry, unfortunately the, the casualty there is Max Jones. Yeah, but I mean, Max Jones has been playing really well, and like you mentioned too, he's he's pretty good up and down the lineup. He's been effective everywhere, and their line wasn't bad tonight. It was for a fourth line it was very noticeable. They were physical. They were able to dig pucks out of corners. Um, they had a couple of scoring chances. I mean, you see Jones; he's just that kid. I feel like he could have five or six goals this season already, and it just hasn't gone his way. But he loves to drive to the front of the net, and you know we mentioned it a little bit earlier, but he he mixes it up too. And it was it's kind of nice to see him finally get to that point because he's always been that scrappy guy who's really skilled. And we haven't really seen that at the NHL level. I think tonight was the first time I've seen him actually get involved and get in a position where he was pissed off. 
And of course, yeah. it's Subban's not somebody that's going to let him do that to him, right? I mean, PK is not going to drop the gloves with Max. No, but it's a good play by Max to get PK in the box again, right? PK was already in the box. Were you not shocked that they gave that to him? Like, I thought that when Max slashed PK, that for sure it was just going to be Max. Did you not see why Max slashed PK? I didn't see see it. I just saw Max come off the wall. I didn't see the slash. We'll get into this now. We'll skip covering it later. But the reason, what it all initiated was there is a puck battle between Subban and Max Jones fighting for position. And Subban's stick clips Jones in the face. And obviously, Max wasn't too happy with that. Skates over, you know, he, he ends up kind of colliding into the boards because he's, you know, covering his face. Then he skates over and then he gives the slash to PK Subban. And then they kind of get into it. Uh, Max pushes him a bit. And then Subban immediately complains to the ref about a penalty when he was already, I think going to get a penalty for high sticking and Max kind of got the retaliation penalty on that play. And they both got sent off. Gotcha. Uh, and then, and then Subban goes over and, and starts talking to him after. And we get the, the whole jiffable, jiffable experience where Max Jones is saying, now you want to talk. Now you want to talk. So, Oh, because he waited until they're going to the box. We all saw it. I was sitting behind the net and you could see him and he could just did a little, his little glove. Oh, now you want to talk huh? now you want, now that yeah. we're going to the box. Now that we, now that the referee's between us, you want to no fear. Mouth. No fear in this kid. There never has been fear in Max Jones, but I, you know, he, this is P.K. Subban. It's not – and I'm not, not talking about how P.K. Subban being a tough guy, but this is an established player in the league, and Max Jones doesn't care. doesn't seem to care who you are. Uh, he'll go after you, and uh, you know if, you're, if you do something like hit him in the face with his stick, if he's not happy with you, he'll, he'll tell you. He'll let you know he's not happy with you. Which is good. I mean, he's always been that, that rough kid, right? I mean, he's gotten in trouble – you know, coming up th- through the ranks with with hits and and getting involved in, in plays like that. So, and he's always said when we talked to him, he's always said he's he's he wants to get in the NHL and play with guys his size. And yeah. you know what? I mean, why not mix it up, man? He, he's he, he's got a lot to uh, to learn in the league, but he's a skilled guy, and it was it was fun to see him go after PK like that. No, exactly. But let's let's get into the actual game breakdown here because. It started off as a pretty exciting game. Yeah. Uh, early on, I think about, about five or six minutes into the game, Manson with a beautiful stretch pass oh, up what to a Ryan Getzlaff. A perfect feed. Manson's been looking better, too. I've actually been impressed. But he threads the needle between two National Predators players to Ryan Getzlaff. And this is about the only time you'll see Ryan Getzlaff shoot when the only option for him is to shoot where he has no pass and he's on the breakaway. Uh, but it was a great placement of, of the shot by Ryan Getzlaff. But this has all started from Josh Manson and probably the least likely guy to, on the ice to make this type of pass. I said he threaded it through uh, two national plays. He actually throws it through Johansson, Forsberg, and Ryan Ellis. Just it was a beautiful the needle feed. right to him. Talk about stretching the ice. Right, yeah. and then and then where Getzloff's able to hit that on the fly and full stride for him, which was which is perfect for him. You can't let him be close to gliding and start going. Not that he's slow, but he's definitely not the quickest of foot. Uh, so he gets him in full stride, and then he's able to pick that spot. Pecorine is a giant of a goalie, and he's able to get it between the crook of the arm, right between the glove and the bicep, just right in between that spot. No chance for Rene. It was a hell of a release by Getzloff, and next thing you know, it's one nothing. It wasn't Rene's night. You, you look at all three goals on the night, and they were ones, you know, this one, it was, I guess you could say, a perfect shot on a big guy. But when you get three goals where it was a shot that kind of squeaked through a guy his size, 
it's not a great night for him. And they, the Ducks only had 18 shots. All glove side. Yeah, and you get to the second goal. And this is what we talked about. This was almost identical to Silverberg's goal against L.A., where he gets the puck from behind the net, walks out in front, and just snipes it. This one was even prettier because he picked the corner. He didn't have a lot of room either. And, and again, we're talking about how big of a guy and how big of a netminder uh, Pekka Rene is. And he walks out. Rene kind of is covering this. He crouches down a bit. But even crouching down, this guy almost covers the entire net. Silverberg has about three or four inches of space, if that, to throw it over the shoulder of Rene, and he buries it top uh, top corner under the bar. I mean, this this is the type of shot we talk about with him. And this is when you you know he's at now at twenty this year, and you got people thinking that, that this guy can still hit thirty. If he plays like this on a consistent basis, there's no question this guy could hit thirty. It just comes down to consistency. Yeah, and they let him walk from behind the net all the way to the mid circle. It wasn't like he cut to the front of the net. And battled it in. He literally walks off from the corner, gets right to that that right that right side faceoff dot from Rene, and is able to pick that spot. Just, I mean, Rene had all day to see it. He just misses it, and it, and it was my yeah. bad. That went top uh, top shelf short side. It didn't go glove. It went. He went against the grain, and I think yeah, he went close the to bar down. That was a hell of a shot too. I mean, maybe not Rene's night, but that's. I think those two goals are kind of tough. I mean, when you're a goaltender, and I hate to give him any sort of credit because I hate goalies, but when you're that big and you if you have your angles right, you just if the guy picks the corner, he picks the corner. It, yeah, it, it's a little bit of a mistake on Rene's part to not respect the shooter, and he he gets really low down on mm-hmm. that play to try because there's a bit of a screen. He's trying to see through it, so he he has to crouch down a little bit more than other goalies to be able to see through that screen. And uh, Silverberg makes the great play where he just whips that over the shoulder uh the ducks get another chance quickly after that jones had a couple chances on, on cross crease chances oh. this game where he uh oh, he didn't so score. rough this was a beautiful play gets left to fowler fowler sets up jones across crease jones actually gets a piece of this one uh, but renee makes a good play a good save he tracked it well it made it look a little bit easier than it than it was but uh man like, if, if Rene isn't paying attention to this one, that's in the back of the net for Jones. And he had another play later on in the game where there was a wide-open net for him, and he just missed it on the same type of play. Yeah, he's effective, right? Up and down the lineup, the kid's effective. And I think he, despite not scoring, despite missing a penalty shot, which, I mean, what what that's what's going through his head there? That's a lot of pressure. I forgot about that, the penalty shot, yeah. yeah he gets the penalty shot in the first period, or in the second period, we'll talk about. Um, but yeah, the first period ends two nothing. But it very could have easily been three nothing with Jones on the doorstep with Rene. But Rene makes the good pat save. Before we move on, did did you see that Getzlaff bobblehead? Oh, I can't wait to get one. I'll be there next My Wednesday. Goodness. <laughs> that thing is hilarious. Um, the first time I saw, like, you know, the the Ducks don't do too many good things when it comes to promotion and and just in general their their marketing department makes a lot of mistakes and and uh, they they produce a lot of cheesy things but this is cheesy in a good way it's just hilarious the half and half of gets left at the draft with hair and then the other half is him now and it's just bald uh this is one of the best giveaway things that they've given away to fans going to games i think i've ever seen and uh kudos to their mark department i wanted to mention it before because i think everybody's seen it uh i envy everybody going to that game because that thing that thing looks amazing, and that that one that one will be one of those ones you know where you get some things from the games and become a huge collectible. That one is going to be one of those things because you're only going to be able to get it at this game, 
and people love that thing. It's 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 going to be like like 70 80 bucks online to get a bobblehead if you want to buy one. You it's know gonna there's going to be people who buy tickets to the game just to get that because you'll end up being able to sell that for more than the tickets that they bought. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I'm trying to get more than one. I'm going with a few of the uh a few of these guys who aren't giant Ducks fans but they have tickets. So I'm wondering, hey man, if you don't want that bobblehead, <laughs> let me know. Watch party coming up. That's what I want to give it away. Yeah, I want to give it away. I would never sell that kind of stuff. I, I mean, you've seen my wall back here. I have a ton of bobbleheads, like Ducks memorabilia. I don't, I don't do that, but I will give it away. Why so all that stuff's it. on that? That stuff's on sale on eBay right now. Oh yeah, you're Just right. On, it's under yeah. it's on a yeah. burner account, right? <laughs> Everybody wants a picture of, of you with Paul Korea. Yeah, that one picture of me. Yeah, back in high school. <laughs> Uh, let's move on to the second period. Uh, and I, from here on out, the the other than the first period, kind of boring a little bit. And the, the third was all Nashville, but the second period here, not a ton going on. Gibson made a good stop on Simmons on a two-on-one, uh, a great block of the passing angle, and then Simmons basically has to shoot it, and uh, Gibson gets a nice piece of the glove on it. And then the, the Predators get a three-on-two about a minute later, and Cam Fowler, with one of the best hustle plays I've seen from him in a while, yeah. hustles back to get a stick on it to, to break up the three-on-one. They even get a chance going the other way. Uh, but nice play from Fowler. And then Lindholm goes to the box for hooking, and Forsberg gets a perfect chance. This this would have been a chance. I know it was early on. He gets two later. But you know this could have been the that would have set up a hat trick later on. He has a wide-open net. Just this isn't a guy who misses. You look at the two goals that he had later on in this game, he doesn't miss these. Wide open net. I think he's a little bit off bounce, and he just scoops it over the crossbar. I didn't even see that play. I saw it on the replay. I didn't see it live. So that, I mean, it's tough when a guy like that misses. We've seen even the best of the best miss. I mean, we saw your greatest player in the world in Canada miss an empty net, like a legit empty net a week ago. So it happens, oh. you know, happens to everyone. How, how many times have the Ducks done that, all right? I mean. That, that, they're, the prof- they're the professionals at missing empty <laughs> nets. They missed, they missed a couple this game. And uh, Nashville had two empty nets on the power play and, and got two goals because of it. But we're, we're getting ahead here. Um, you already mentioned this, but Max Jones gets on a breakaway. Benino pulls him down, gets rewarded a penalty shot, and uh, – Probably the best chance he's had. I mean, this guy's had chances galore since getting a call-up. Probably the best chance he had to get his second NHL goal. And uh, he just loses the handle. So unfortunate that he doesn't get a, a, you know, a good chance here. He just overthinks it, I think. Obviously, the you know this isn't a guy who seems to get phased, but pressure seemed to have got to him at this one because I don't think he knew what he wanted to do. It's the first time in his NHL career that he's going one-on-one with a goalie without having to worry about anything else, just think about what you're going to do on the breakaway. And, and uh, I think he overthought it a bit, lost control, and then tried to go five-hole last minute. But Rene read it the entire way. That's what I felt, too. I felt like like he didn't really know where he wanted to move in on him. And, and not that Jones hasn't seen a big goalie, but you're on the biggest stage, uh, you know, next to international competition with the Olympics. I mean, the NHL's huge. It's, he's excited to be here. He's been a bit snake-bit. I guess so. I guess going in on that, you could tell he just just fumbled it, but at least he got the shot away. It would have been it would have been pretty bad if he would have flubbed the whole thing. So too bad for him. But uh, it, I just love seeing that he's getting close. That's important for him and you know the development of, of young players is that he get those chances playing in those kinds of minutes. So 
Yeah, and, and then Daniel Sprong sees that and says, this is how you do it, kid. <laughs> and uh, he, he takes on uh, Irwin, puts him in a blender, doesn't get fully around him, and then off bounce, he kind of just throws a backhander on net, uh, you know, back against the grain. And I don't think Rene expected him not only to get the shot off, but get it up high because it was kind of like a snapshot on the backhand, right? He doesn't actually scoop it on that. He just kind of slaps at it and gets it under the under the arm over the shoulder of Peke Rene back on the glove side. Great individual effort from, from Daniel Sprong. He's now got three goals in his last three games. Uh, there was uh, rumors before this game started. I think it was because uh, at Honda Center, they had, had listed old scratches, and they oh, had listed yeah. Daniel Sprong as a scratch for the game. And Brian um, Gibbons. <laughs> yeah, and Brian Gibbons. So people thought he was scratched, which wouldn't have made too much sense because the Ducks tweeted out that uh, Getzlaff, or not Getzlaff, Kessler was scratched. The Ducks have no other forwards, so they would have been rolling with 11 forwards. But you're not scratching him at this point. When he has three goals in his last three games, he, he's been on fire just as much as Jakob Silverberg's been on fire. Yeah, and he's not getting benched during the game, which is also nice. We've seen that also this season from Sprong. I don't know what it is about him. There's got to be something the coaches don't like or whatever. But the kid could skate. Uh, He's got some pretty decent hands. This one's the only one of the the three. I guess if you want to nitpick Pecorine, he was not out, you know, to cut down the angle too much. He was still in the middle of his crease. And it just, like, he's, he does that hunch, right? He tries to cover everything low. And unfortunately for him, that puck was rolling. So it was able to be picked up a little easier there by Sprong and lifted over the shoulder. And that's where they went again, right? Between the arm and the body. So good play by Sprong, man. I love how that kid just constantly moves his feet and creates space for himself. And it's nice he has the hands to finish, unlike Cogliano. And I'm going to get hate Ooh, for that one. You're th- sorry. Throwing shade on Cogliano. He's not even a duck anymore. Not even involved in the game. How many and times has that guy gotten a play like that and not buried it? Right? And I like Cogliano when he was on the Ducks during peak Cogliano years. It just, you know, didn't work out for, you know, at the end. So Apparently, uh, Daniel in our chat said that uh, Don Cherry threw some shade at Daniel Sprong this week. I did not see this. Uh Throw it in the chat, Daniel, and we'll we'll discuss it at the end of the game. Let, let me know what he said because I didn't see this, and I I again I don't have cable, so I don't get coach's corner anymore. And even if I do, I usually go and and make a make it a point to not watch Don Cherry whenever I can because I'm at the point where I just can't handle his anything he says anymore. But uh, yeah, let us know let us know what he said because I want to see uh, I, I want to talk about that. I'm sure it was ridiculous knowing Don Cherry. Um, but you, I mean, Daniel Spong is a good Canadian boy, so I, I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm interested. Like, if he was a like a European, I'd be like, okay, I know where this is going. But uh, I don't think Sprong's done anything wrong, so I'm, I'm wondering what kind of shade he's throwing at him. But uh, let, let's let's move on and quickly wrap this game up. Third period were penalties. That's it. That's pretty much it. There was less it, than ten minutes of five on five skating in the third period. Yeah, no, it was ridiculous. Henry gets a penalty for boarding. And then that expires. Then Terry goes off for holding Subban for embellishment, which he did dive a little bit, so I think he does deserve it on that one. Then that expires. Then the the whole Jones and Subban situation happens, and uh, they both get two minutes for, uh, I guess, what did Jones get? I guess Subban got high sticking and Jones got slashing. Maybe they both got slashing. I can't remember what they got, but either way, they got coincidental minors. Those expire. And right after that, Magna goes off for holding the stick. 
Manson throws the puck over, over the glass for about the fifth time he's done that this year. Mm-hmm. And then Nashville gets a five on three. And normally you'd be a little bit worried. Nashville's power play has been this year. You're like, yeah, whatever. Like, we can get through this. But then Laviolette says, oh, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I'm going to pull my goalie on a, on a five on three, go six on three. Ballsy move with about still about 10 minutes left in this game. And if, if Anaheim just ices the puck and it goes in the net, you're, it's over for you. There's, there's no chance. Uh, it works out, though, because Granlin sets up Forsberg for the one time, and he just blasted over the, the short side corner of John Gibson. And that would make it three to one. And then on the five on or the five on four, which then turned into a six on four because Laviolette pulled the goalie again. Forsberg gets the puck and, and, and he shows Silverberg that he can shoot the puck too. He goes the opposite side and snipes a glove side high on John Gibson this time. You always forget how good of a player Philip Forsberg is until he does something like this, where he picks one corner, comes back 30, 40 seconds later, picks the other corner. Well, I mean, that first one was just a beauty of a layup pass by Granlin. That was just some sauce, and it was all in one motion. Forsberg had it on a tee. Yes, he still picked his spot and went high shelf. And then the second one, what are you going to do? He's just a talented guy. It, it's that's that's two tough goals, um, you know, for John Gibson. I don't really think he had a chance on either one, honestly. No, he didn't. Apparently, yeah, okay, yeah, I I know Sprong was born in, in Amsterdam. Amsterdam. I'm getting. Yeah. Yeah, but I th- I thought he was a Canadian citizen. But either way, so I, I yeah, there's the clip. You're getting chirped in this that, chat too. So <laughs> yeah, I'm sure because Gordon Bombay is in that chat. Uh, that that's it for the third period. That's it. Ducks got outshot 15 to two. They hung on. They win the game three to two. Outshot 34 to 18 in the entire game. I want to pull this up uh, and and see what this is now because this is uh this is Don Cherry chirping Daniel's but I don't know how long this clip is so I'm going to pull it up here uh, and then we'll get into our post game comments but uh, okay it's seven minutes you'll have to give me a time stamp I can't, <laughs> I can't play hey, Daniel if you can find me a, a, a time stamp I'll play it on uh, uh, for everybody here but I, I can't uh, play a seven minute clip so we'll, we'll get back to that in a bit but the first thing I want to talk about in our post game notes here Jakob Silverberg's on a six game point streak right real, now real quick before we get there shout out to uh to alex ramirez for the tickets first he gave them to jason nice. on sunday and then uh gave them to myself uh today and we got you know enabling us to get some really good seats so thanks alex for the seats man really really appreciate that we also have another shout out because we have uh, a new patron uh so thank you to aaron goring i hope i got your last name right but thank you for becoming a five dollar patron on patreon um, and I guess we'll get this over with now because you don't want to hear this later. Uh, if you haven't checked out our Patreon yet, we do four bonus episodes a month. We have a $5, $10, $3, and $1 tier with different rewards. You can check those up. They all equate eventually to uh, four different bonus shows. We have a Discord chat that you can get in and talk to us about hockey whenever you want. And for the $10 tier, you also get a puck bottle opener, which a couple of our, our guys in chat right now will tell you how great that is. So if you haven't checked it out, Go check out our Patreon, and thanks to Aaron for becoming a new patron. Yeah, man, thanks for thanks for joining the team, man. It's a lot of fun, so it's all good. And by the way, the Discord chat, not just hockey talk. I think today they're recommending dinosaur movies to Jason. So let's, let's be That's real. We Jason. talk about all kinds of crap. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Um, let's get into the postgame comment and get back to Jakob Silverberg. Six-game point streak for, for him. Yep. He has not – a lot of people thought maybe he signs the contract – becomes complacent because now he's got you know there's always this discussion right a guy signs a contract 
he gets that uh, stability, and then he's like, all right, I'm going to sit back. And you don't see it all the time, but there's always that talk, right, of, of that guy doing that. Silverberg's gone in the complete opposite direction. He's out to prove that he's worth the, the money that the Ducks are shelled out for him. And uh, he's doing more than that. I mean, I didn't expect him to do this well. He's had stretches like this before. Consistency has been his problem. But a six-game point streak, you know, that's pretty consistent. And if he can continue this for the rest of the year, that bodes well for next year. Because they're using him in a more offensive role right now, especially with a guy like Andre Cash out of the lineup. And really nobody else is scoring for this team. So it, it looks pretty good for Silverberg. And it's really nice for him to hit the 20-goal mark as well. And he's not just scoring, though. I mean, he's he's one of the best five-on-five players the Ducks have, right? If not the best five-on-five guy they have yeah. since Andre Kasha hasn't been able to stay healthy. I mean, he's played 61 games, and he's at 20 goals. That's that's a hell of a run for him. He, he has to play tough minutes against top competition. He's not a big man. He's like he's just 6'1", 200 pounds. Um, so it's he doesn't have this overall size advantage some forwards get. Uh, he's not the fastest guy. But he's just kind of like a jack of all trades, right? And it's it's a nice tool to have in the lineup, especially because he can finish. I mean, you can have guys that uh, that can play a two way game, but don't really put up points. But Silverberg's really stepped it up, and, and you can even say he's had a down year, right? I mean, he hasn't had an excellent yeah. year. He's even had like somewhat of a down year and been hurt, but he's playing a hell of a game. He he's one of the best fours, if not the best four in the lineup right now. Period. That, that's a consistency thing, I think, for, for Ryan Getzlaff, right? Uh, not for Ryan Getzlaff, for Jakob Silverberg, right? He, he's always had that consistency issue where there's been problems with his game and with him you know, having times where he does this and he does play very well and he looks like one of the best players on the team. And there's times where he disappears, but not from the game completely because the defensive contributions he has are always going to be there. But you kind of miss that offensive production that he has. And um, I think we're missing that that a bit at times over an entire season. Now, he's been very good lately, and I have to give him credit for that. But we'll have to see if the consistency can really become a factor for him. Because if it can, then I think he can be a 30-goal scorer. But how long have we been saying that for, right? We've been saying that since he came over to the team. He's got the release. He's got the ability to do it. But the consistency has been the big problem for Silverberg over his entire career in Anaheim. And it's a reason why he has never hit 30 goals. And to the same fact that he's also been utilized in a shutdown role for the most of his time with the Ducks, with Ryan Kessler and Andrew Cogthano. And that's not really the best opportunity to put up 30 goals, right? You would want him playing in a, in a position or with players like Ricard Raquel, like uh, Adam Henrique, who can get him to that point. Uh, if they utilize him like that next year, then that could be a possibility for him. But I, you know, I, I seem to be saying this almost every year that Silverberg can be that twenty-five, thirty guy, and then he doesn't do it. Well, we'll have to see. Um, we'll have to see what it's like next year. And he's he's most likely not going to be on. There's no shutdown with line with him anymore, right? It's not going to be he, Kessler, and you name the other winger without Cogliano now. It just it just I think this this is going to open more opportunity for him to play with younger players who are faster who uh can also create space for him and themselves and so i think there's an opportunity there for silverberg for next season i really do i i still didn't like the contract doesn't mean i don't like the player and it's like we said it's not that we don't like silverberg and we don't like the amount of money he's getting paid it's the other contracts surrounding it that caused the problem because now you're just adding more to this bundle of guys who are going to be older sooner rather than later 
Um, and we don't need to get into the whole cap situation again, but it's like all this praise. I just didn't want to everyone to think like, you know, hey, we're just contradicting ourselves here. It's like, hey, you got you to gotta get praise where it's due. Silverberg's a great player. Um, yeah. and, and I think he's going to flourish with the, with the younger group coming up, honestly. I really think so. And if they can move some cap out of here, then maybe this deal's not so bad. It's it's not even a bad deal. I mean, it, it's good value. It's it's the the term's a little weird when you're looking at a retail, and that's the only issue I had with it. But he's fully worth what they're giving him. He yeah. is worth that, and and not just because he's playing well lately. You know, even before that, I you know I think we both said he's worth that. But it's not really a deal that makes sense for the Ducks. And there's a lot of people who are saying the same thing. Like Silverberg is a great, great player. I love him. I love what he provides for this team, but the direction they're going in, it didn't really make sense to bring him around at 28 for five more years. It's not the worst contract you could ever sign. You know what I mean? It's not really, I, I don't think it's ever going to come back to hurt them and be labeled as a Ryan Kessler type contract. Um, you know, I, I feel like the Adam Hen- Henry contract more than Silverberg would have a chance to come back and hurt the Ducks. Uh, in, in a negative way, unlike Silverberg's contract, I don't think I don't think Adam Henry's contract is even going to become that bad. But if you're you're looking at both of them and saying which one could hurt the Ducks more in long term, I would probably put Adam Henry over Jakob Silverberg. Yeah, but you would also say too that there's a good chance he could get back to the 40, 50 point total, right? I mean, he could, there's a chance he could still have 40 points now. Uh, he's at 31, and, and they only have a little over 10 games to go. But um, he had 40 last season and 49 the year before, which was his uh, his career high. I think he could be you know the you know 40 50 point guy here for you know the next several years. So, and like I said, I still think playing with younger, faster players that know how to create and open the ice more for him is just going to bode well for him. For sure, um, I got a question I want to get to because it's kind of on the, the same point of this before yeah, yeah, we let's move do on it. to our next point. But uh, Sam in our chat on YouTube said, "I feel like one of Kasha, Richie, or Sprong." have to be moved next season just not enough room on the roster with younger players stepping up which one would you trade from those oh, three? Oh boy um that's tough it's a it's a tough spot to be. I, I no, i can rule one out easily you're not trading the guy i would yeah, rule you, out you from that discussion i'm not getting rid of andre kasha yeah it's it's not happening and but you know there's a real argument for either sprong or richie and it all depends on what you want to have around now, Richie has been very good this year. He's been yeah. an improved player, and he fits into a middle six role that you know you you can put him anywhere and he'll be effective, right? You know that that's a little bit. You get a more reliable and a more versatile player in Nick Richie. He does have some discipline issues, which he has to work on. The problem with Sprong is, you know, you get a great goal scorer, and you get a guy who. You, like, look what he's doing right now, and look what he's done since joining the Ducks. Mm-hmm. But you, you, you give up all that versatility. He's very one-dimensional. He's a goal scorer. That's it. He has speed. He's a goal scorer. That's all you're getting. So it all depends on what you want. And I think when you look at the players coming up for the Ducks, and you look at getting Andre Kasha back, I feel like Nick Ritchie is more valuable to this team in the direction they're going in. To have a player like that in your roster, that you can get rid of a guy like... Daniel Sprong, and you have the younger players in the in, this, in the system that could replace the type of production he has. I wouldn't want to get rid of any of them, but if you're going to make me decide, marginally, I, I would say I would move Sprong over Richie. Yeah, I think so too. It's just because I think Richie has a little more to his game, like the same reasoning you have behind that. I mean, what I think, and I, I honestly, I feel like that the organization would feel the same way. If they're going to trade somebody, yeah. it's going to be Sprong. 
Especially because the amount of times or that as, kid's been benched. Yeah, or as uh, uh, who said it? Who said in our chat? Uh, Sam said in our chat. I go for whoever gets you the best return. Um, mm-hmm. And and that could be you know that that sounds like a Bob Murray type of direction, right? Like whoever gets you the best return, the best deal, the best hockey deal. That's generally the guy that you're going to go for, the deal that you're going to take. Um, moving on to our next part. We already talked about the Bronx. We don't have to touch on that anymore. We put Silverberg. One guy that's arguably getting as many chances but just isn't putting the puck in the back of the net is Corey Perry. Yeah. And you know, we Except criticized tonight. him. But no, no, for sure. And and there are games where he hasn't looked as good. But in, in, the, in the month of March, in the seven games that the Ducks have played, Corey Perry is the highest forward when it comes to scoring chances four on the ice. He's got 42. He's in, in a tie with Ricard Raquel. And then Jakob Silverberg's right behind him with 40. And then Sprong has 39. So he's putting up as many chances. He's on the ice for just as many chances as Ricard Raquel, Silverberg, and Sprong. And Silverberg and Sprong are all producing. But, you know, nothing's really going for Corey Perry. And you can you can tell just from the goals four on the ice and goals four against. Raquel on the ice for five. Silverberg on the ice for six. Sprong on the ice for four. Perry? on the ice for two goals for. Mm-hmm. And then you go to you go to high danger chances, and you look at where he ranks among forwards. He's first, 24 on the ice for 24 high danger chances for. The next highest forward, Sprong with 20. Then Adam Henrique with 20, gets off with 18. So he's on the ice for high danger chances. He's on the ice for scoring chances. He's on the ice for a, a significant amount of shots for. His, his uh, Corsi 4 percentage is almost 54%, so he's controlling shot share when he's on the ice. I mean, this guy's getting chances. He's just kind of unlucky right now. Yeah. You know, he's not wowing you. He's not, you know, making moves like Daniel Sprong. He's not, he doesn't have the speed to really wow you anymore. He just seems to be getting in the right positions to score goals or to, to be effective. Well, and he's, and he's also just not getting points. Yeah. He's also just, he's just not converting. His shooting percentage is below 5%. If I last I looked, yeah. Just wasn't. And that's luck. Just not that's, been a good That one. comes down to luck at times, too. Yeah, no, a lot of times it is luck. You're right, 100%. He's, he hasn't been ultra dangerous, but I feel like he's probably worth 15 to 20 goals in a season with those types of chances. I really do. I, I feel like they're going to come, and that's going to be with the Corey Perry we're going to see next year. Next year, 15 goals-ish. Yeah, I, I, he's in a slump, and it's tough. And, you know, it, Getzlaff was in a slump a little bit going into this game tonight, too, and he had a really good game. Not just a goal-scoring slump, but Getzlaff was... was uh, if you look at PDO, he was pretty unlucky, just like Corey Perry was. Yeah, and so. he wasn't looking that strong lately. You know, the kids kind of have taken over this team. So uh, it just it, it allowed, I guess, the veteran players to not be so noticeable in that regard. But it's nice to see yeah. him step back into that role, honestly. Yeah, and, I mean, this is this is on ice team percentage that I'm about to a number I'm about to put out there for when Corey Perry's on the ice but you, you like you just mentioned his shooting percentage as an individual is around five percent on the entire season and uh, his over the last seven games the on ice shooting percentage when Corey Perry's on the ice is 4.65 percent and the only guy lower than that is uh, uh Brendan Gooley who's only played three games in the month, month of March everybody else is either over 10 or very close to it. The next lowest is 8%. That's Carter Rowney. And then 8.33, which is Max Jones. So he's significantly below everybody, pretty much, having played all seven games in the month of March. That comes down to some some really bad luck. Uh, mixed with a couple other things, he's not playing at top, top level. 
He's he, obviously not with the puck not going in the back to let back of the net. But you know, when you look at all these 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 factors considered, it's been a tough go for him. And he he's been producing. He's been making chances. He just can't really bury them. Or the guys he's on the ice with, they just can't bury it when he's out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess you're throwing in luck into the mix there, and I guess that makes sense for him. But he's got to start converting eventually. It, it's going to change. It's been a bad stretch for Corey Perry, for sure. Uh, another question from Sam. He says, you guys read that Sports Illustrated article on Kessler's injury? Uh, quick thing, if you haven't, it's a great article. It, it goes into to really what he's had to deal with um, since being injured and, and the road back to making it to the NHL and getting into a thousand games. It's a really great article. Uh, but he says it seems like just getting to a thousand games was their goal. And that's kind of what we talked about on the last show. We talked about it earlier today as well on how it just seemed like getting to a thousand was the goal for Ryan Kessler. And then now, now he's trying to deal with some of the injuries that he was dealing with. And uh, Sam, I think he's going to retire now. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's it for him? Getting to a thousand was it. There's an opportunity for that. If he's sitting out, I mean, that's a lot of money left on the table, though, right? That's a lot of cash just yeah. sitting around that he's just going to give up. Not that he hasn't made money and that he's going to be dying without it. That's just got to be tough, right? You battle through all of this adversity. Your family moves around because you're, you know, you're playing in two different countries now. Uh, he's got young. He's got a young kid or a couple of young kids. So I get the idea that he gets to be home and you know, quality of life. But uh, I mean, leaving uh, eighteen million plus dollars on the table has got to be a tough call for him. Yeah, um, I'm sure he's probably considered it over the course of this injury, but you have to think about money as well. And, and, and yes, there's a off with the money that he's made over his career, but that that doesn't matter. That's still a lot of money, no matter who you are. Yeah, to just leave it on the table, no matter how much money you've made over your career, and which Kessler has made. Earned it. He's earned it. Yes, so he's, he's, he's definitely he, earned No, it was a, he signed it. But he earned, you know, he the way he played and what he meant to this team, he earned that contract. Doesn't mean he was worth that contract, but he earned that contract extension with the Ducks because of how valuable he was to this team. So mm-hmm. that, you don't want to leave that much money on the table. So I don't think he retires. Um, but, yes, he can, as, as Sam just mentioned here, he can go on the LTIR if he wants and, and kind of end his career that way, and he'd still get paid. Uh the Ducks would have to kind of work it out where that they would get full relief, especially if they already have Patrick Eves. That could also be a guy who might have to sit on that LTIR yeah. for a considerable amount of time for, for the entirety of next season. Uh, there's only a certain amount of relief that you can get based on how much cap space you're using um, that you can get full relief from it. But they they would at least be able to get some, if not all, relief from Kessler's contract if they put him on there, and he still gets paid. That doesn't affect him whatsoever in, in him actually getting his money it just helps the ducks not have to deal with that cap hit um when they're going out to get extra players or you know making trades or, or just making any moves in general yeah i mean it's got to give them some relief right but i, I just i would be surprised if, Ka- if if ryan kessler retired and i would be really surprised if the sam Willies bought him out so i think there's still a solid chance where he tries to give it a go next year i, I really do I really feel like there's there's an opportunity for him to come back to the team and play. Ease is another one. That's been so hard for him too, right? I mean, not being able to decide how you end your career has got to be one of the most painful options for any athlete. And I think either yeah. 
either one of these guys would much rather be playing than sitting on the sidelines. It just comes down to their health, though, at the end of the day and how they feel about how, if they can compete or not. So we'll find out. I think that the cap space isn't all that important, honestly, because the, they're going to have big contracts fall off in the next couple of years anyway. And it's just looking at this team. We're not at a point to add a big-name player to make us good again. It's going to be a two- to three-year deal. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, and, and just a quick update on the Don Cherry video. I didn't forget it, but I think we're going to save it for the next podcast because if I play it for everybody in YouTube right now, everybody who's listening to this after the fact is just going to hear pure silence for about a minute or however the clip is. So we'll save that for the next pod. We'll, we'll all review um, what he said and then we'll break it down there because it, it still will be relevant and be able to talk to at that point. Oh, yeah. And we really then got we can days. actually... Yeah, then we can actually clip it and play it, and then it will actually be uploaded to iTunes instead of just YouTube, and we don't have to, to worry about it just being pure silence. But before we get into the fan questions, one thing was kind of lost in the wind today and everything else going on was a, a very solid performance from John Gibson, where, you know, barring a two-man advantage twice because of the goalie pulled a three-man advantage at one point, he had a, a very strong game, made some key saves, and uh, he's been good since coming back. There, there really hasn't been a game other than maybe St. Louis where you're like, yeah, that he struggled in that one. And this is you know, kind of getting close to the John Gibson we saw before he went down with injury. He quietly had a good game against the Habs too, right? Uh, I feel like he played well against yeah. the Habs, and he played well tonight also. You're right. And he held the Ducks you know, pretty much in it. I mean, the, the, the Predators don't get these goals without an extra man on the ice, right? So, I mean, Gibby really had to face an outnumbered situation for both of those goals. So, I guess you could say, man, I mean, you're right. He's quietly having um, better games. And I think that a lot of that speaks to how this team is changing the way they play. There, It's not the Gibby show because he, it doesn't have to be the Gibby show anymore. They've shored up a yeah. lot of the egregious chances in front of the net. Remember when we used to look at the shot maps or the heat maps in the post game and it'd just be like this giant yeah. blood red dot over Gibson's net? Like, every single game, like, all game, you would see this for that, especially during that losing streak, just red, 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 everywhere. Yeah. You don't see that so much anymore. It's not as bad. So, it's nice to see him get some help. It's kind of unfortunate. It's too little too late. But, um, you know, the you know the, the, the team and the organization and a lot of us fans are already looking forward to next year. So, let, you know, let's get these guys playing at a better pace. But not too good. Still got to tank. You know, still got to get that pick. But uh, yeah, Gibby's Gibby's so, playing. Just just finish in the bottom five. Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> and this is what you want to see from John Gibson, where you're not forcing him to have to be noticeable, right? In, in a in a significant way, where he's just standing on his head. You never really want to have to have a goalie like you know perform like that on a regular basis. No, because they're going to get tired, and that's what we saw with John Gibson. He's going to get tired out. Now he's had two back-to-back games where he's played where he's just had quietly good games. We said it, you know, you said it in the Montreal game and you said it today. He's been quietly good. You know, the, the goals that went in, you can't really blame him for. You look at the Montreal game, I'm trying to remember the first one, but mm. the Shea Weber blast, nobody was stopping do? that one. And in this one, nobody's stopping the, those two goals either. You know, he had a three-man advantage where a cross-crease pass to Forsberg where he wires at home and then you get again, a guy like Forsberg enough time and space he can pick a corner like he did on John Gibson and again nobody is stopping that when it was perfectly placed into the top corner and so the, the, there isn't much you can do on that other than that John Gibson has pretty much been perfect 
just yeah. coming back barring shots that would beat pretty much any goaltender unless uh it was like a, a highlight reel save so i like what i've seen from him and it's nice to see that they aren't you know putting all the pressure on him to have to do what he did before he went down with injury because there was no way he was going to be able to come back and do that type of or play that type of game again no it's i guess the only bummer is is that he got so much spotlight for being in the vesna and heart conversations that it, they like the ducks literally broke their starting netminder and that was the end of it <laughs> just it was the yeah. end of it <laughs> I mean, he, if he finishes out strong, like I feel like he should still be in the discussion on, on how important he's been to this team. But you've got guys right now. You like, you know, Andre, Andre Vasilevsky will be in the discussion because the Tampa not, Tampa Lightning are just that good, and he's going to get the wins. Yeah. And course. then you've got a guy like Ben Bishop, who's just like slowly creeped his way into the discussion. I mean, I remember when we talked about this back when we were talking about John Gibson at the midseason awards and how he was the clear runaway favorite with it, and the Ducks were kind of ruining his chances. Ben Bishop has three straight shutouts. He's now got a 9.30 save percentage on the year, and I think a 2.2 something goals against average, kind of dragging the Stars into the playoffs. If they make the playoffs right now, I would have to give the Vezina to that guy. I mean, <laughs> how valuable is he to that team? I know, I know, Anton Kudobin's been good, but Ben Bishop has been unbelievable, and uh, John Gibson. I would still give some credit to though because of how good he's been. Yeah, you have to. You have to give him some credit. But yeah, he's not going to be in that top-tier conversation for those awards. And that's okay. Um, do you want to go to Instagram, or where are you at for questions here? Yeah, I'll pull the ones up on Instagram first. We got a, a fair amount of questions. So we, we always appreciate when you guys get them. If you do want to submit fan questions to the show, you can either do it in the chat, either on Spreaker or YouTube, or you can uh, check out any of our posts during the game on uh, Twitter, Facebook, or on our inter- Instagram story to submit questions if you haven't done it before but a few questions we have on instagram to start with jimmy said do you think goals is reachable for silverberg i'm i'm assuming he means in a full season yes um because i don't think it's it's definitely not reachable uh this year i don't think i mean there's 11 games left he, does he goes on an offensive like tear maybe <laughs> yeah i mean it, it's possible it's not an unheard of type run scoring a, a little bit under a goal per game you know that that's something that he could be able to do. But over an entire season, we've always said this: that Silverberg has it's just consistency. That's what it always comes down to for me: is if he can be consistent enough over an entire stretch of, of a season to get to that point. I still think he has that potential, but he's yet to kind of fulfill it. Yeah, I think he's a thirty goal guy on a great year. On a great year, he's probably a thirty. 30-20, 30-25, 50-55 points on his probably his best year. With the right players. He's got to play with the right players. And he can't be putting that, hey, you're going to be playing on the third line, grinding out minutes on the PK, and grinding out minutes against the top defensemen. It's just it's just he can't have one of those years and hit 30. He's got to be able to, to be free a bit and able to create with like-minded players. And I think that's where you're going to see the full potential of Jack Silverberg offensively. Defensively, his game's always been there. But I think offensively, for him to be able to get that kind of space and be able to create, he needs guys who are kind of like-minded like him. Yeah, and, and that's why you see him lately playing with with a guy like Ricard Raquel. And and you put a guy like Devin Shore in the middle of the ice, and a lot of the defensive responsibility can go to Shore instead of Silverberg. Where it should be. And then he can work with a guy. Yeah, and he can work with a guy like Raquel, which the last two games they played together, they've been pretty good. So we'll have to see if that, that is a budding partnership or not. 
Uh, but Sierra said, do you think Sprong is out of Murray's doghouse? Um, I think for now, for tonight, until he makes a mistake, right? Until he makes a mistake defensively, and then it either leads to a goal or to a chance, and then Murray will bench him because I gotta, uh, I, I gotta ask you something, man. Are, are you of, are you of the mindset of you know, we don't like one dimensional players if they're only dimensions offense and how to score? Like, isn't that the no. hardest thing to do in the league is to score goals? So that's why it's always funny. Um, and I'm sure I'm not, the, oh, I'm not the only one who thinks this. I mean, clearly there's tons of people on the same train as me when you're talking about. Uh, Alexander Ovechkin, they always comment, he has no defensive game, he's a winger, wingers are a dime a dozen. It's like, yeah, but he does the one thing that is super hard to do, which is score goals in today's NHL. He's not also, he's not just one-dimensional either, because he can play a physical style of game. Sure. Well. Defensively, the, Ovechkin is still suspect, but he's got a couple things. Like, for Sprung, it's, it's literally just goal scoring. He's not really a physical guy. He doesn't do much defensively. He just has a great shot, and he can score. There's nothing wrong with having a one-dimensional player. You just there's a couple things you have to do. You can't have a team full of them. You can only have a couple of them, because if you have a team full of one-dimensional players, it's not going to work out for you. No. And you have to put them with a guy that is going to amplify whatever ability it is that you're calling him one-dimensional for. For Sprong, it's goal scoring. So you put him with a guy like Ryan Getzlaff, and it's worked out, right? Mm-hmm. So you got to put him with a guy that's going to complement his ability. So they've done a good job doing that. It's worked out over the last three games. And, and I'm I'm in the mindset that I don't mind having one or two of those guys. You know, Pontus Aberg was one of those guys, but he, he had other issues, not just defensively, that were creating problems. If the only issue for Sprong is defensively he's a little bit suspect, you kind of you shelter him. That's what you that's what you do with one dimensional players. You shelter them a bit. You put them in in an opportunity or position to succeed, and then you kind of mitigate the risk of of the issues that they have. Yep. Want to get over to uh, to Facebook? Uh, we still have more questions. Um, oh. We had a bunch on Instagram. So oh, I only John saw said, two. My bad. Go ahead. <laughs> John said, "Do you think Terry can be the lockdown?" two-way player that and the question that Kessler was mm, I don't know I don't, I don't know stretch. that's a tough one um I would like to see where his game is at obviously next season before I make any sort of assumption that he can play that sort of shutdown role that Ryan Kessler played and also I don't really see Terry being a center in this league uh he's he's probably just going to be a winger uh, usually you know where a player is going to be when they get to the NHL, it's it's very few do guys hop in and out okay. positioning, right? Let me let me give you a better than instead of Kessler, you're looking at shut down forwards in this league that are wingers. Mark Stone. And Mark Stone is one of the best shutdown players in the league. And and again, this is a lofty expectation, but if you're trying to compare him to what Kessler was, then if you want to pick a winger, that's essentially what Mark Stone is now. Yeah, but Stone's also a thirty goal guy, right? He's Yeah, but we're talking about Shutdown capability. I'm, I, we're not talking about production-wise, being this 30-goal, 60-70, 80-point guy. We're talking about the shutdown capability that that Mark Stone has. And I know I you mean, know it because you, you like to post it in our chat all the time of the defense. You know, the you look at the shots against when Mark Stone's on the ice. He clears out literally every danger area that it, that exists when he's on the ice. Yeah, if you want to see a flip-flop of what it looked like, uh, we saw the heat maps when the Ducks were during their losing stretch with Carlisle. The heat maps with... Stone playing in Vegas, my God. There was, like, not a blip of red in Vegas' defensive zone with Stone on the ice. It's all in the opposition zone. That's a big ask. I'm sure that's – I mean, that's the top-tier elite-level player. Um, but, you know, let's go to his question, though. I mean, comparing – let's just say defensive prowess. Let's, let's just say 
position aside. Um, I don't know. I really don't know. I've only really seen Terry step up and play, you know, on the, uh, and play well on the power play, and he's looked good at five on five. And I guess I'd have to see a larger sample size uh, size of the minutes he's playing against top end players, right? I, I, there's, I guess, yeah. there's always a possibility. But let's see what he does against the best of the best, night in and night out. That's what Kessler did during Pete Kessler. <laughs> Nobody was doing it. He was Nobody. the best. He was labeled the best shutdown center in the league. And he's, he he's was won in a Selkie. Selkie discussions. Yeah, and he's he was won in, one. He was in, yeah, yeah, and it was it was him. Kopitar, Bergeron, they were the three guys. You're like, these are the best shutdown centers in the league. So you you got to say that if you if if you think Troy Terry can be what Kessler was, that means Terry has to be in Selkie discussion. That means he has to be labeled as one of the top five shutdown wingers in this league. I don't think it. I think it's too early to it's tell. It's too early. I, I like the thought and, that you have that high expectation, but it's early. Yeah. And that's very, very lofty expectations to say that. I feel like he can be a good two-way player who can also put up 40 to 50 points, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. Like, that would be a win for the Ducks if they could do that. Um, the Majneb says, where does Sprong fit next season with Terry, Perry, Kasha, and Silverberg all as right-wingers? Oh, man. Where does Sprong fit? We honestly, I, this is kind of a cop-out, but it really depends on the coach that comes in next year <laughs> where he's going to play. Because I feel like he's yeah. not going to get the benefit of the doubt. I, I feel like he's going to be starting third line. I think the kids uh, are going to get more time. The yeah, other kids. And we, you know, we've seen Terry play in the left before. We've seen Perry today play in the left. We've seen Silverberg play in the left before. I mean, if the Ducks need to, they can move some of those guys from the right wing to the left wing without really any hesitation. But even the left wing right now is looking like it's getting put pretty full with Richie and with Raquel and possibly Maxime Comtois. You know, in Max Jones as well. Like, you you know, you don't have a lot of spaces next year. There's going to be some guys who miss out. And potentially you'll see a guy traded that you didn't expect. And maybe that's Daniel Sprong because that is, is probably – you know, as, as good as he's been, the best scenario when we're, you're looking at the guys we're talking about here, and we already answered this question earlier. I think it comes down to Richie and Sprong, and you decide who you want to keep, right? And, uh, and that's uh, an interesting situation to get in. But it, you know, it's not a bad problem to have trying to fit good players into your roster. It's not a bad problem to have. And you know, you, you look at the, the players we listed off, like Terry. Kasha, Silverberg, and Sprong are all very good players. And even Corey Perry, to, to, to his own right, has been pretty good since coming back from injury this year. So that's not a bad problem to have. No, it's not a bad problem to have at all. You always want to have depth and have the opportunity to be able to move somebody if you need to. Um, so I think I think he'd be the odd man out, though, still, don't you? Sprong, I think so. Yeah, he's I think still so the odd man out if you're going to make decisions. Yeah, and But... It all depends on the coach because, you know, Bob Ray might not like him because he's one-dimensional, but I think they'll give the coaching staff, the new coaching staff, a chance to look at them and, and see what they want and, and, you know, make make decisions as well with the general manager on who they want to keep and who who they don't really want as part of this team. And I think they'll, they'll kind of make that process slowly because they don't really have to rush and, and make any rash decisions. Yeah, No, they don't have to rush. They'll, they'll wait until the new coaching staff gets here. on to Facebook. We got a couple questions on there as well. Let me just pull it up here. Did you hit the one All on right. on Instagram um, from Yosep saying the announcers keep it talking about Cam off. Fowler? 
that question got cut off. We didn't see it because we had something about us being critical of Cam, of Cam Fowler, Fowler in the past, yeah. which we have. But uh, I, I hopefully if if she if they're listening, uh, send us a question. If it's a long question, try to send it on Facebook or on on Twitter because Instagram will cut it off and we can't uh, we can't see the other half of the question. So I don't want to answer your question and and you know make assumptions and it's the the wrong answer, not the answer you're looking for. So just bring us that question on the next show and just try and ask us on on Facebook or send us a DM if it's a long question on Instagram. Yeah, for sure that makes Instagram sense. so that we can get it. Yeah, and then and then we'll be able to answer it there. Uh, Joseph asked. Uh, why are we trying to screw up our draft pick? <laughs> well, I, I, it's like I told my buddy that I took to the game. I was like, if I wasn't going to be here, I wouldn't have been so excited for the win. I mean, I hate rooting against the Ducks, and I would never really root against the Ducks. But uh, it was a fun game to be at. It, it's, t- it's tough It's tough to wish for a loss when you see him beat the Preds. <laughs> no, for, for sure. He had, a, he had a real question here is what he said. He says, how does Henrique... And our organic first round pick. So I believe he means like our twenty to thirty one pick, or or maybe he means our own. I think that might have been correct. But uh, Henrik and our own first round pick for a top five pick sound. Um, we might even we might have a top five pick. So it all depends on where the Ducks finish. Um, and I don't think Henrik and a pick in twenty to thirty one would get you a top five pick. You'd have to probably add more to that. Henrik's a Henrique, tough move. He's a tough move because you can get you can get that type of player. And you said this before on the show. You can get that type of player um, from most teams with less of a contract. If if I was if I was Colorado and I didn't have we talked about this before. If I didn't have Jack Hughes or Capocacco. I would consider a move like that. If the Ducks had seven or eight and they want to move into three because there's a player they really like and they think somebody's going to take them, to move up from to move down from from uh, three to seven, if you're Colorado, you get Adam Henrique and now you can go McKinnon and Adam Henrique up the middle, a guy who is is capable of being a two center in a in, in a team like that. You don't have to worry about a Matt Duchesne type situation where they're both vying for a first line role. I could see that being a move that they might make i'm sure they would would can try and get the ducks to add a little bit more to that but that's the only situation i could see none of the teams that are bad this year and in that position detroit new jersey uh ottawa but obviously that's the colorado pick and um la they're not going to make that move they don't need a player like adam Henrique. you know they're in a full rebuild right now so the the only way i see that happening was it would if it was colorado and they didn't have a shot at uh Capocacco or Jack Hughes. Yeah. Yeah, a bit. I, I just, I still don't see the Ducks moving him anyway. Yeah, neither do I. I, I, I just, I, I think he's he's here for a couple more seasons. Benjamin had the same question that we already answered, but I want to give him a shuttle for, for asking the question. He also asked uh, about where Sprong fits into the, the lineup next year with Terry, Perry, Kasha, and Silverberg set in stone. So appreciate the question. Um, we already answered it. Sorry, we got to your question second, but uh, again, thank thank you, Benjamin, for the question. And uh, we'll finish it off with Twitter because we had some questions on there as well. Um, a I lot thought of it was more of a gift today. war between Bombay and Jason. Honestly, it it actually might be. Uh, well, Alex, <laughs> the guy who gave you the tickets, he said, "Why can't the Ducks tank?" Right? See, um, yeah, that's tough. Yeah, I mean they 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 just want to play better. Like they they they're playing better because there's no Randy Carl. This is the team we probably thought they would be around 500 team who can who can kind of stick around with with anybody. This is what you kind of thought they were going to be this year. Now they're finally getting to that identity. So I could see, you know, 
the, the tank is is really non-existent when you're not playing Randy Carlisle's system and you're not like just completely demoralized, right? Like the Ducks were never as bad as New Jersey. They were never as bad as as Detroit and even LA or Ottawa. They yeah, were really Bombay on paper, just said that we're six points above Jersey, who's in fourth. So that's that's going to be tough. You've to seen reach New them. Jersey's lineup too, and they don't have Taylor Hall. In their no, he's still right injured. Now. And I don't even know if they have Kyle Palmieri from looking at their roster tonight. Like, they don't have anybody. And they got hammered by the Calgary Flames 9-4. to Johnny Goodrow had six <laughs> points. Oh, my God. He had a hat trick and three assists. So, New Jersey's, New Jersey's struggling. And uh, the Ducks are definitely not that bad. They're definitely not Detroit bad. They're also not Ottawa bad. And I don't think they're Kings bad. You know, they're they're not a great team, but they're they're not even at that level of bad. So this is kind of what you, you the, the play you should have expected all season, and things just went south under Randy. Uh, made the Ducks look like a lot worse than they probably should have been. Yeah, um, for sure. We, so we we did have a couple questions here uh, that were actually legitimate questions, not a gif war between Jason and, and Gordon Bombay on Twitter. Uh, Phil said, "I think Manton, despite him taking the penalty, looked really good tonight. How do you guys think he's played?" He's played really well, and he's played really well for the most part since he's got reunited with Hampus Lindholm. Thank you, Bob Murray. Uh, and he had a hell of a game tonight. Yeah, he's been really good in general over the last like five or six games. I've been impressed with his play. He's been chipping in on the offense again, which is something we've missed from him. He's been making really smart decisions in his own zone. And uh, defensively, he's getting back to what we're used to for him. I think the only thing still missing from his game is that chippiness that we're, you know, that we're accustomed to seeing from Josh Manson. But other than that, everything else in his game is, is kind of getting back to what we're used to seeing. And that's mm-hmm. nice because he, he chipped in, in, in on the offense a lot last year playing with Hampus Lindholm. And we're finally seeing that. I mean, that, that pass today, I think that was better than any pass I've seen from Brandon Montwell. He, he probably surprised himself <laughs> with that pass. <laughs> yeah, like, holy hell! I made it. it up there, and uh, it again, like threading three players with that. That that's some credit to the playmaking ability he has, because we don't talk about his playmaking ability a lot, because he he isn't a, really a puck moving defenseman, but he does have the ability to make that pass, which sets him apart, I think. And we always label Josh Manson as a defensive defenseman, mm-hmm. but you know he's more of a two way guy because he does have that that offensive ability. I mean, he how many points did he put up last year? Like twenty nine or something like that. He got close yeah, to thirty. Yeah, he had a ton of assists. Yeah, he had a ton of assists last year. And a lot of them were secondary assists, to be Whatever. fair. Hey, man, you're, still, you're in the game. You're, you're making yeah, that you're, play. Exactly. You're contributing to offense. So he looked good tonight, and he's looked good over the last stretch of games, which is which is really nice to see from him because with Cam Fowler this year, he he really struggled. And, and honestly, I think at one point, you know, Cam Fowler was kind of pulling down his game, but they were both kind of pulling each other's game down. They just were not gelling together, and it showed, you know, in the numbers. It showed when you're looking at the eye test as well. So it's nice to see both of them turn around, not just Josh Manson, but Cam Fowler. Looked very good in this game. Yeah, I was really impressed with Cam Fowler, and you noticed how comfortable he is on that right side because we we talked about this earlier today. That pass over to Max Jones, he doesn't make that pass if he's on the left side, mm. but he he's able to, to cut back and immediately be on his forehand to make that cross crease pass to Max Jones, and looking really really good. One of his better games on the right side that I've seen so far. Just opens up so much more offense for a guy on his offside. It just it, and for a guy like Cam who's offensively driven, it just makes his game that much more better. More better. That much better. Jesus, I can't talk. It's late. (laughs) Yeah, well, like you said, it is late. That was our last question of the night. We're well over an hour now, so we'll end the show here. As we do. Uh, Again, 
thank you so much guys for coming out a lot of you in the chat despite the fact that we were you know 40 40 minutes into after the game or even almost an hour after the game which is which is great to see we appreciate all you guys coming out and listening to the podcast live uh and again if you listen to this now listen to the after the fact we still appreciate you guys listening if you ever get a chance to come out live it's a lot of fun to, to engage in the chat and, and engage with you guys live during the show if you don't, we understand. We've talked to a lot of people that, you know, I, I work or whatever, just it being late, it's tough to get out here. So either way, we appreciate you guys. Um, again, we have the watch party coming up on March 23rd. All of us will be there, including me. I'm making my way down there. I'll be in Nashville and then coming over for four days to, to enjoy the watch party. Pat, give them the details because you know where it's going to be at. Yeah, it's going to be March 23rd at Puck Drop, I believe, is at 7.30. So we'll be at Craftsman Pizza over off Imperial Napalma around 6.45, 7 o'clock to set up. I'm actually meeting with the uh, the manager there this weekend to kind of go over logistics, make sure we're all good and we can get enough people in there. Um, it should be a good time. We're going to have raffle prizes going off just for people who show up and who are going to be there. And they're going to have drink specials are awesome there. They have local brews. They have craft brews. They have really good burgers and really good pizzas. So more of a food variety plus some good pricing there is also going to help out too on a Saturday night. So come out and check us out. Uh, it's going to be a good time. Blast one of the year. And like we said, Eddie will be there as well. But uh, yeah, that's the that's the details. We'll be, t- we'll be tweeting and putting, and putting it out on social media. More to remind you. Yeah, and, and quick update for the next few shows. This is my last show for four games because I am going uh, to Nashville for so a school lazy. project. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I know, right? So uh, <laughs> that has some implications possibly on how the show is going to be presented over the next four games. There very likely will not be YouTube for the next four games because it's run uh, from my side on my computer and there's, it's very difficult to transfer it over. We can't transfer any of the screens you see on YouTube right now would have to be rebuilt on uh, on Pat's computer. Uh, we'll, we'll try and figure it out. We're going to see if there's something we can do, but we have limited time before I leave to even try and make that work. So if we aren't live on YouTube and you're watching this now and you're used to us being live on YouTube, the same link that you clicked on on YouTube, we do have a link that goes to our speaker that gets tweeted out at the exact same time. It's not video, but it's the same audio you're going to get. There is a chat function over there. A lot of you remember that from last year is what the only thing we had was Spreaker. So, again, it's the same show. You can engage in the chat over there. We might have to do that for the next four games. But once I'm in Anaheim, we'll be doing a couple of live shows there. We'll be doing a show for San Jose and for uh, L.A. after the watch party that I'm sure we can set up video for and do YouTube for that. It'll just be the next four games that we might have to uh, just have audio for. Yeah, that's uh, just the way it's going to go. Sorry you can't see our ugly mugs for four days, but uh, we'll be back after that. So it'll be a good time. <laughs> All right, man. All right, is that well, it for the night? Yeah, we'll be back on, what is it, two days from now, so Thursday? Thursday, Thursday against Phoenix, yes. and then Friday against Colorado, Sunday against Florida. We'll all, uh, Jason and I will be here for those three shows for sure. So, all right, everybody, thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you guys soon. Have a good night. See you guys.